Hello and welcome to the Life on This Podcast, a no-bullshit conversation about reimagining religion and remixing spiritual practices in a way that is secular and inclusive to all. I'm your host, Sunson Jones, and today I won't be joined by my co-host James Croft, but uh, he'll be back soon, don't worry. The two of us have dedicated our lives to showing how anyone can have the benefits of a spiritual or religious life, even if they're not religious. I mean, the two of us aren't. In 2013, I founded Sunday Assembly, a worldwide movement of non-religious congregations, and today I'm the director and co-founder, and I'm the founder of The Lifefulness Project. How did I forget that? And uh, James runs America's largest humanist congregation. In early 2020, I got in touch with James about writing a book on lifefulness, the practice of creating spiritual communities in a way that is secular and inclusive, and he said yes. Then we thought, well, look, if we're going to be interviewing people, why not record those and put them out as podcasts? So that is what we're doing. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. My guest today is Liz Oldfield, who is a remarkable woman. She began life uh, in TV and radio before becoming director of the Theos Think Tank, a think tank which is dedicated to studying faith in the UK. This means she is the first Christian we've had on the show. Sound the trumpets, kill the fatted calf, sing hosannas in the highest and then sing some more even higher than that. Uh, Liz uh, appears regularly in the media in the UK on matters of faith and society. You might have seen her on BBC One, Sky News, The World Service, or uh, caught her writing in the Financial Times, if you are Financial Times inclined. She's the ideal conversation partner uh, to discuss matters of faith from a Christian perspective, uh, because she always does it in a way which is really welcoming, so if it's not excluding, uh, it's not trying to persuade, it's very much about showing what she gets from it. So what a chat. Uh, I thought we were going to talk about faith in Britain, the changing landscape of belief and all of her amazing reports, but we ended up getting a lot more personal and really getting into what she gets from her church. Uh, If you're a listener to this podcast, you know we start off by going through the lifefulness framework. And normally those are questions given to secular people, to non-religious people. So it was fascinating when it was applied to someone who was religious. And I'd never had a sort of conversation like that. And, you know, I don't think Liz had either. So I really think that you will love it. It's, It's also got like stuff which anyone can go and take off like different practices or techniques which you could introduce into your life and literally when she's speaking about her community and what she gets from it that is just exactly why James and I do the work that we do so uh, enough about me talking about the conversation and here is this wonderful welcoming and fun chat Yeah, so uh, Liz, uh, lovely to uh, have you along to the Lifefulness podcast. Uh, You are, I believe, uh, I guess the first Christian uh, who's come along. And then the others have been sort of some religious unfriendly. Well, not religious. It turns out Tim Minchin. 
more into spirituality than he had been before. Oh, I did not yeah, know. Nor did I. Like uh, that, that was also, uh, yeah, very interesting. And then, so you know, some more in the sort of messy middle. But I thought like, we'd go and make sure that we had a few people so that if there's people who aren't religious, they're like, okay, all right, I know where it is. And now it's got- It's my people. Yeah, Jerry Falwell, he's, he's up next. Uh, the, uh, Best so we'll, before we get onto the, yeah, the question we always ask, which is what is the background to your uh, childhood in a faith or philosophical way? Just, yeah, yeah. what's, what's uh, life under COVID do, looking like for you at the moment? Yeah, under COVID, it's all right. Um, yeah, you know, we're all healthy, all that good stuff. Um, we love living in London. We love our flat. We have spent a lot of time together as a family. Um, and doing the same juggle, I think, as anyone living with multiple people of not quite enough space and not quite enough patience. Um, but in that slightly sort of cliched way, it does feel like we've grown a bit and we've uh, just done the kind of, you sort of come face to face with lots of the stuff you don't like about yourself faster, right? And you can yes. either just live with someone that you don't like very much by yourself or you can try and kind of wrestle some of that to the ground. Um, so what, have you been, what have you been wrestling with? Oh, all of the... All of the sins, I understand. <laughs> but what, what are yours? Oh, so I am deeply, deeply impatient. I move fast. I make decisions quickly. Uh, I like to get stuff done. Other people in my family are more deep thinking and more considered. Fucking annoying. Just do it already. What do you mean, wisdom? What do you mean? <laughs> Take advice. Um... Yeah, so I'm impatient and oh, I'm just selfish. I'm a deeply selfish person and I really like, uh, you know, the freedom to do exactly what I want, which gets, gets slightly beaten out of you when you have kids. Yeah. But I think, you know, parenting in lockdown just strips off a whole other layer of the selfishness skin, yeah. rips it off there. Uh, so that's been, you know, uncomfortable but healthy in the long term, I like to think. Uh, the uh, Andy Pecula, do you know the Unitarian, atheist Unitarian minister in North London? He, he calls it, what is it? Uh, your fog, I think. Yet another fucking opportunity for growth. <laughs> Which I very much like. Uh, the, so, uh, well, look, I, uh, it's super lovely to have you here and I'm glad that you've been growing. Gro Grovid, that's what I call it. Uh, the other thing that's been difficult is I've done a disc in my back, so I'm on an exercise ball. So if you're using the visuals for this, there might be quite a lot of, I'm basically dancing with my lower half. Okay. What's also good is you're having a glass of wine as well, or Ribena. So it just looks like you're getting so smashed you can't sit. And yeah, the, the question we always ask uh, our guests is, what was the religious, spiritual, philosophical background to your childhood? So yeah. shoot, 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 Liz, go. Yeah, yeah. an homage to St. Christa. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've changed a bit on this. I think I would have said there wasn't really one in that I grew, I, I, feel, I feel like my childhood was very normcore. It was very middle in lots of ways. Um, grew up in a 
sort of medium-sized commuter village in the home counties. Went to a sort of middle of the road local state school. My mum was a nurse and my dad was a GP. And they were ve they're just very nice, very decent, very unassuming people who aren't really extreme in any kind of way, not particularly politically inclined. Um, and my mum certainly comes from a, from a sort of actively non-religious family. Mm. What I assumed was sort of an only culturally Christian family. And we were shipped off to Sunday school briefly as children, purely as free childcare. And we knew that's what was happening. Like my mum and dad, because they're medical, quite open about sex. <laughs> Maybe that's less normal. Okay. And, and, and they were like, we are dropping you at church now so we can have mummy and daddy time. Really? What age did you start knowing that? Oh, I was like seven or something. Um, Great. Oh, I was the one who educated my whole class about the bio, bio, biological realities of sex. Um, but yeah, so there was a bit of church like in the background, but it sort of rapidly just wasn't really a thing. It was like, I had brief memories of old ladies and colouring in sheets, and then it stopped. Uh, were you close enough to your parents' house that, like, it ever leaked in to the Sunday school? You're like, mummy and daddy are having a fight again. Having a great time. <laughs> With a comfortable yeah. distance apart. Definitely comfortable distance, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was very... I just, I wouldn't have been able to, the, the, it, was, it was not ideological in any sense. Like what Christianity there was, was like very dilute Robinson squash. And mm. there was no politics. And the philosophy, I actually now have very deep respect for, but it was very much like just about be decent, tell the truth, you know, use your talents. Um, but you're incredibly happy and secure. But yeah, yeah. Not, just not a lot of anything very extreme around did you really rebel against it were you like come on just have some something interesting like a skeleton in the closet something i think i probably look i mean i just remember resenting the the vanilla-ness of the whole thing because i was in classic fashion a sort of you know bookish hermione type like steeped in mystery novels and uh wanting my life to be like uh you know Harry Potter or Anne of Green Gables or whatever it was that I was reading at the time and so I felt very constrained by this low-key village life where everyone was very normal looked just like me um, but the other clever thing that my parents did was they sort of reasonably strict-ish until I was about 11 and then go okay we've done our job now like go like go make mistakes uh literally took away all of the constraints what? so that there was nothing to kick against and so the genius movement i was all i was just from then on i was just missensible because my mum would hand me two bacardi breezes as i went out the door to a party and say maybe share one with a friend uh at, you know age 12 13 and yeah. um, drove me out clubbing when i was 14 because i was very tall with big boobs so we could go clubbing age 14 um and so I didn't really have anything to rebel against, which was most annoying. Uh, then, by the way, this is suddenly your desire for uh, adventure, Harry Potter and mystery suddenly goes and brings a new light onto your conversion. Yeah. Uh, when did you find God then? When did you, because that must have been quite a big switcheroo. Yeah, you know what, I've never, met, I've never joined those dots that maybe I was just bored. <laughs> <laughs> I 
needed an adventure. I wanted to feel something. <laughs> um, yeah, so I went to a Christian youth group that my friend uh, was going to at her church because she fancied a boy. And so I went to see the boy and then stayed because they had hot chocolate and we watched friends and uh sort of got drawn into a conversation with the youth group leaders who were just smart and kind and nice to me and then they took me to a christian festival called soul survivor which is just beginning it's oh just stopping gosh. now yeah soul survivor very formative in a lot of christians of my age because it was just designed for teenagers it was a skate park you know rock bands playing their four chord worship music um, like hormones swilling around this campsite in Shepton Mallet. Um, but I was very skeptical for about the first six days. And then I remember praying like, God, if you're real, show me that you're real. And it was the kind of charismatic Christianity where people pray in tongues and fall yeah. over. Oh, wow. And I did, I fell over and I lay on the floor and felt very, very powerful sense of the love and the presence of God. And um, I felt my question directly and physically answered. Yeah. And that was it, really. And what's that sensation actually feel like? Is this one of those things where, like, you've got to, like, trying to explain an orgasm to someone yeah. where you're just like, oh, I don't know, it feels like a, like a really good glass of wine. An excellent sneeze. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel this because I've got lots of friends who are quite into psychedelics and I'm always like, help me understand because I think there might be some crossover uh, between these experiences. I, you know, I still get it. I like, I, I became a Christian into charismatic Christianity and then I later had a crisis and like went into more cerebral forms and I'm right back in uh. to, so the other night I was praying with some friends and my hands shake and I feel this, um, it's like my skin, I get goosebumps pimples on my skin and I like I feel it very physically and then I start twitching um but that particular event I it was more it was much more like um like I wasn't really aware of being in the room I was somewhere a bit different mm. like lying in a big pool of love basically I mean sign me up for some of that like, I mean if I was <laughs> if I was Christian, I'd be the most insufferable, charismatic, hands in the air, and get sort of person in the world. Uh, the uh, yeah, because it's quite interesting. Like at probably at around, well, though maybe a bit uh, older. And I remember for me, it was like just really like when I was a teenager, just really feeling like this physical sense and it was this real for me it was really connected to blood and my mum's death uh, but like this feeling of knowing that that love was gone but somehow some weird embodied cognition thing must have been happening where like a huge lack of something then went and expressed itself as sort of almost being self-generated, you know, as someone who might have been lacking love, uh, then goes and finds God. And then they're just like, and, and by the way, I really hope you don't mind me. You're okay. used to these sort of conversations anyway. You're not going to go, no, actually that's God. Thank you very much. No, None of this. Yeah. Well, that's a challenge. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, 
just really like having this like physical these physical sensations and now when I do go and sort of connect to this feeling of being alive like even talking about it now my body just starts popping around and moving and so yeah so for me I'm just so fascinated by uh the the intersections and then the differences in all of this I'm really looking forward to this chat uh we've yeah, like what we've been doing is sort of kicking these off with going through like the six characteristics of lifefulness. And sometimes I'm still unsure whether to do it because it's quite useful, particularly with uh, non-religious people to get them thinking about stuff they're doing anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe for you, this is uh, something you're all very familiar with anyway, but I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. So the way we're looking at it is that the, We've used the Purpose Driven Church as like super successful book on how to create congregations, which can be applied in personal life and in your and from an organizational point of view. And then just found like ways to translate them that everyone can understand. And so ultimate meaning is our translation of God. But like God is different things to like some for some people it's love for some people it's justice like for you what is your ultimate meaning what do you find in your uh, in your god i i don't even begin to know how to answer that question because i'm going to use he even though i have uncomfortable questions yeah i'm not like i don't think god is a man <laughs> but the neither am i at all comfortable with it like yeah interesting and she feels like sort of unne so unnecessarily strong a statement that you just get tripped up on that, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I mean by he is the personalness. And mm. so I really struggle to think, yes, God is love. Yes, God is justice. Yes, God is hope and life and possibility. But also he's just himself. Like those things are yeah. too... That's like saying, my husband, Chris, like, you know, what is Chris to you? And I'd say, he's Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I do think that I, my faith isn't very theoretical, actually. It's, I love, I, I love the ideas around it. I love talking theology and philosophy. Mm. And, but, you know, Pascal talked to, I've forgotten Pascal's first name. Blaise? Blaise Pascal. I know I shouldn't remember. Oh, so cool. I love talking about philosophy. Do you? Oh well, he, but he, when he had his like equivalent of falling over at Soul Survivor, he said, "Not the God of the philosophers, the God mm. of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like a God with a story, a God with a family. Not quite a God with a face, but a sense of like there is something deeply personal for me about God. Like di literally a a person. Obviously not a." A person, person, in the same way that we're people, but not also God, not. God, not, as you're going out, can you can you just get some shopping? Yeah, all right, yeah. Yeah, but that you know, for Christians, if we're made in the image of God, if human beings are made as in the image of God, then there's something up, something personal about mm. that. So, well, but for me, God is not really about concepts or even meaning, except someone who I feel like I sometimes can like sit with and talk to and experience love from oh yeah, yeah that's great thanks so much uh yeah it's because quite often as, as you were speaking i was realized i didn't you know 
I don't I don't ask many religious people this question, so it's really interesting to hear it. Uh, yeah, and so the next one we ask is, uh, what is... So I can just give you the originals, because you're... So the way we translated worship was yeah. as... Uh, it's a tricky one to go and translate. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, like, celebrate... Like, celebration isn't enough. Uh, so uh, purposeful celebration you know, in groups and individually. Yeah, what does that what does that look like for you? Yeah, yeah, it just looks like Or worship. just worship. Yeah, 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 worship works better, but it's also... Like, yeah, what is worship? Like, it, it's always this, like, nerdy church person saying, worship isn't just about singing songs, you know? Your whole life is worship. <laughs> uh, I, but for me, like, lockdown has shown me how much I need. So, I have, again, I've been in all kinds of churches where there's hymns or there's silence. This incense or hazard. I'm right back in a church where there's a guy with a guitar in the front and he sings like Matt Redmond style worship songs. And that like 40, 20, 30 minute slot is where I emotionally and spiritually recalibrate. So for me, I walk through the doors, I say hello to my friends and then I get on my knees or I dance around at the back and something happens emotionally where I'm like, so interesting to sort of try and distance myself from it. But where there is some kind of encounter happening. And mm. as I or dance, I sort of get out of my analysis brain. And it's just like, I'm able to everything sort of, all the scum comes to the surface and I get it all out. I'm like, here it is, here's all my stuff. And then I feel this like loving, what's that thing that child psychologists talk about? Like unconditional positive regard. Yeah, 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 Carl Rogers, uh, his, his jig. Yeah. So worship for me is like sitting in unconditional positive regard, which now I say is interesting because I think I assume it's like me, people assume it's like giving God all the glory. Like it's all about our regard of mm. God. But in so doing that, I experience it. And it's really like healing and I miss it like you would not believe. For me, like I find that my... Like even so, so not doing Sunday assembly, like as the uh, as the host, or not having those moments where you can, it really is just a like shaking it all up and then going. Because if not, I go into the next week and all the like blockages and all of this, they sort of build up, and I've got to and it, like either like it builds up a bit too much and I don't know what I have to do. And that you can get rid of it with booze, but it's like a what's that Huxley's downward transcendence instead of upward transcendence yeah. like leaving yourself in a bit of a lower place uh yeah. no not judging you with the booze there uh and so then the uh the next one is community life yeah what is your like what do you get from church because i think that's actually really interesting well this is not the here i am complimenting my own question but there's a lot of people in the uk who just don't know what it's like to be in a community like in yeah. the west we'd be people would come to sunday assembly and they'd really miss it but like we're two three generations out of church so yeah, yeah what is your community life like then yeah i do think if you're not in it it's hard to imagine and it's also like this secret treasure it's what it's why i love the work you're doing i think that sunday assembly is really important and like trying to find places where people can join a structured community um, that's not just around a leisure pursuit, basically. That's what we mm. have left. Um, 
you like gardening, so you join a gardening club. You like music, so you join a choir. I actually think there's something about choirs that gets closest yeah. because it's a collective endeavour and it's long term. But yeah, I, I again, I'm in my like second naivety with church. I think lots of people like become a Christian and have like all the zeal of a convert or whatever. They love church and they love it, and then people start disappointing them, and then they get mm. all and they're like, "Ah, oh, fuck church," and then you know. I've been through all those cycles, but I'm back, I'm right, and it probably is because the pandemic takes away the things that you love. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right back to like, gosh, this is like the beautiful and glorious bride of Christ in theological yeah. Um We'll just like whack that down on the table. Um, so in <laughs> a group of people who I see on a regular basis, who I'm vulnerable with on a regular basis, who are drawn, like our community isn't diverse in some ways, like, there's definitely work to be done, but it's more diverse than any other community I can think of. And there's just like a set of expectations that there, there isn't, there's zero social competitiveness. Mm. Or maybe not zero, but it's like massively less noticeable than anywhere else. That it is totally fine when someone asks you how you are to be like scorchingly honest. People see that as like their, not just their business, but part of their concern. And so, mm. Like in our church community, we've been given a car. Like someone, when Chris was having a really hard time last time, someone put two grand in an envelope and was like, go get some therapy. Uh, just there's, there's people whose rent are being paid by other members of the community. There are like, and, and, and we, you know, we contribute to a food bank and like refugee tutoring thing, like centrally from the church. And We've mainly been meeting on Zoom for six months, and yet I still feel like any of those people, I could send them a text and say we're really struggling or we need this specific thing, and I have zero shadow of a doubt that they would show up on my door. And they're people that I'm like, frankly, I don't even like that. <laughs> I don't like some of them in the sense that yes. like, we're not just friends. You know, we're not just like they're not just people who I happen to have personal chemistry with, who I would be friends with. Like I have good friends, and they would also show up on my door. I just think it's magic. Like it's hard, it's hard work and you have to commit to it and it costs you something, but in the costing you something, the gain is just, yeah, I just, I am a big fan. I mean, this is like, literally you've just done the advertisement for like both the advertisement for what you get from a Sunday assembly. And then also the inspiration of what we want to do with lifefulness of like, it's that sort of place. Like, people are crying out for this sort of community. And like you said, that you go to a, uh, you know, a choir is great, but like, there's just not like all of like, you use this word expectation and structure, all of, and, and like not liking people. Mm. Like it's, it's not liking people, but still loving them. Yeah. And, and that's the test. That's, that's the, that's the end goal and the practice and, all sorts. Oh, this is going to be great. We agree with each other on so much. What else? There's no drama though, right? I'm going to have to have a look at your books in the in the back and see if uh, I have, I have problematic not choices. Rated them. I'm sure there are. <laughs> uh, and then the next one is so we've had community life. Yeah, sort of personal growth, discipleship. Uh, there, that's our translation. Like, what is? Uh, yeah, how are you becoming? How are you becoming more like Jesus today? He says accusingly personal growth um so i think that this is totally linked to community so mm. I, I 
come to the conclusion that I have incredibly low willpower and like self-improvement projects do not go well. Um, uh, and also I'm quite lazy so it doesn't really bother um, but there is something the reason I think that you know you could talk about is like growing in virtue one of the ways you can think about this is like communities of virtue like self reinforcing supportive places you know we know the power of like basically peer reinforcement that we're more likely mm. to change people around us it's why AA works etc etc and so in church you've not only got a bunch of people who there's a certain amount of love and trust with and vulnerability. Uh, but you've also got someone gap getting up at the front every week and speaking for half an hour about a big story that you feel part of and it's relevant to your life. And within it has, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not really an instruction book at all. It's a narrative, but the narrative has frameworks for making you think about mm. live. Like what is a good life? Like who is the good Samaritan? What does it mean to love your neighbor? You know, what is like self-sacrificial love, blah, 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 blah. And so the combination of those things, I think, like the story and the repetition and the community means that I have like, I just get to the point now where I'm like that, I want that to be a stronger influence on me than all the nonsense that I read on Twitter. Because the story that our culture often tells is, it sort of celebrates cynicism and it celebrates pointing the finger at other people and self-righteousness and like buying stuff to make you feel better. And so I want to be the like very uncool, earnest person who is part of a community that like actually, actually does think that the good exists and that I want to get closer to it and that I don't want to lie. Yeah. I want to be loyal and I want to be generous and all those things. And so I'm trying to do that, but it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm just going to like try and be less of the complex and flawed person that I know I am it's that there's this thing that I'm invited into and that I can move towards that's like a joyful adventure. That sounds so pious and... No, not at all. That's, who doesn't want to be part of that? Well, maybe some people don't, but like that, it, like that... As children, we all want to be. And then we get disappointed and also we realise that there's very like low social status in that stuff. Mm. But I think our like deeper selves want to want our lives to mean something you know want to do i something. don't even think i don't even think like i'm gonna defend that like how much stuff in the world of like well-being personal growth all of this stuff this is all the things which people find hardest and yet congregations have evolved to be the shape that they are yeah. because we know i often think of like the devil as a design principle you know, it's just like, okay, like in the same way that if you're a fireman, you've got, fire person, uh, you've got to go and uh, think, okay, what happens if a fire affects this uh, sort of, uh, this match factory, which I've also put a crash into, uh, you know, you're like, you're, you're thinking about fire, but the devil is so good. It's basically saying humans are you know, we're, we find it really hard to do because, like, you've got this guy who's constantly trying to make your life, like, you do the things you don't want to do. And then the so church is like, well, you shouldn't be looked after when you're a kid and you should be able to think about this and all of these other things. And, yeah, because if not, you're, what are you doing? Liking Instagram posts of people doing yoga on rocks? Uh, the, and then the next one is ministry. 
And yeah, what's your, like, what's it like? Well, sorry, serving others is the translation. I've sort of really let the guard slip down there. Yeah, what's the, what does that look like in your community and in your life? Actually, right now, it mainly looks like other people doing it, I think. Um, yeah, it's a real tension for me, actually, because in my, like, 20s, spent a lot of time like volunteering at homeless shelters and being involved in like projects in the developing world and campaigning for justice trade laws or whatever it was and gradually felt like the best place for my I could do some good there but it was like quite an uphill struggle Mm. whereas the thing I'm really good at is communicating and helping simplify and synthesize some of this stuff. And so I went to work at the BBC, I went to work in media, and now I run this organization that's basically trying to communicate that Christianity is like a gift and not a threat. Like don't, yeah. you don't have to be afraid of religion. It's a friend, not a foe. Everyone just says, okay, I know you're scared, but you can just calm down. Yeah. And as I've done that, I'm more and more in these like elite circles of thinkers and like journalists and politicians. And I think you can serve others there, right? I think all human beings need yeah. an opportunity to think deeply and to reflect. There's not that I don't think I'm doing ministry through those work, that work and I'm trying to like run an organization that is as un, uh, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to look after my team and like give yeah, them yeah, yeah. Great growth and like run an ethical organization that cares about people. But the Bible was pretty clear on the most vulnerable being mm. and that yeah so it's a tension for me basically i sort of feel like maybe when i don't have two young children and a job i will uh have a bit more margin to do that more direct encounter with people who are at the highest level of need and therefore the highest level of like beauty and have a lot to teach me and remind me about um but yeah it's a very complex answer, but I, I, yeah, I don't really know how I think I'm serving others. I hope I am, but there's also ways in which I'm not in this season, and maybe that's okay for now. Hey there, I just thought I would take a moment to thank our sponsor, and uh, no, we... Uh, we don't have any uh, big corporate sponsor coming in, but the sponsor uh, of the podcast is the Lifefulness Project. That is the social enterprise that... Uh, started in uh, launched it in March and what we do at the lifefulness project is spread the idea of lifefulness and but also go and help people put it into practice so one part of it is the community we're organizing but uh, you might you might have a job, you might be part of a school, you might be part of a community. And what we do is go and help people to create connection, to help people to create meaning and belonging at the workplace. And so if you are interested in these sorts of ideas and would like to see what that looks like uh, where you are, then just go to lifefulness.io forward slash contact hyphen us should just be contact so that's lifefulness.io forward slash contact hyphen us got there in the end really not complicated but somehow complicated and uh yeah we'd love to speak to you about how to create a real sense of meaning belonging and soul wherever you are gathered I one recurrent theme in this podcast is speaking to people who often have a really ethical bent to their work and are really committed to uh, helping folk out, and then they're just getting really 
feeling really knocked off that they're not washing homeless people's feet. Uh, and uh, yeah, there is obviously like, there's a different level of service between Mother Teresa and the person who makes the Pope's red slippers, though it is important that the Pope is well shod. Uh, the, and then the last one is evangelism. Like, what does that look? Well, no, sorry, I've got to keep on using the the uh, the pre-translation words. <laughs> People are going to really think this podcast. Uh, the uh, yeah, then changing the world. Which, by the way, what's that? That's my translation of evangelism. How do you think that works? Not well. <laughs> Not well. Okay, how come? Because it it means sharing good news. So. Mm. There's other things that are about changing the world. And I think sharing good news does change it. But for you, you need people to be talking about lifefulness. That's the, that's the evangelism. Yeah, but I think you've got to like go and bake that in there anyways. And you change the world. Otherwise, it seems a bit self-serving. Go like, what's the sixth pillar of your sort of uh, framework for living a good life? Uh, but you're promoting me? <laughs> well, um, actually, good point, Liz. That's all going down on the list there. Uh, what's mine? So I sort of, like with the many things around my faith, I'm getting more comfortable about just being pretty straightforward in this, in that, like, I do believe in evangelism in, like, the original, the, 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 you know, the, the uh, Mark I sense, in, in the sense that I definitely don't want to sort of march around with, a, like, a sandwich board on and a loudspeaker saying, the end is nigh, repent or burn. Um, but repent be... or burn is such a tempting <laughs> offer. Isn't it? Climate change communications theory says don't scare people. It's <laughs> not good. Um, but I do feel like to, in order to have integrity, I have to be, even though it's like super socially awkward, I have to be occasionally willing to say to people, I actually do think God exists and loves you. And if you ever want to find out more about that, like, that's totally fine. Just you know, give me a call. But now we can stop talking about this. That's fine. It's the most apologetic evangelism I've ever heard. You nearly need to work on that. I know. I will. I try. I try. But I, yeah, basically, I do feel like if you found something in your life which is life-giving, then not ever talking about it or, not, or assuming that no one else would ever be interested, even though it's a bit weird, is a, one, a bit of a cop-out, and two sort of doesn't, I think just doesn't really respect the people in your life. Like you have to earn the right. You have to be trustworthy. You have to be kind of polite and not a dick about it. But actually I became a Christian because someone invited me to a youth group mm. and invited me to a festival. And I can't imagine my life without that. And I don't want to. And so every so often in a very shamefaced, like British way, I will occasionally like just send someone a link to the online alpha course and be like, if you ever want to do with this, I'd go with it, go to it with you if you really want to. But don't worry, we never have to talk about this. Again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you haven't yet crossed over that line of being uh, a huge bore about this. You still sound as though you want to sort of jump into a pond and then self-flagellate afterwards for being so, so pushy. You're, yeah, it's OK. Yeah. I'll, I'll let I, you know. I, so there are, like there is, it's an interesting thing because there is such high social stigma around Bible bashing or, um, and it is very, I think it's quite specific to religious people talking about their faith. Like it's called proselytism. It's like something that, you know, fun, funders will deliberately write in a clause to exclude the possibility of it happening because it's like so threatening. 
and I sort of feel like in a society where we're prepared to be sold anything at any point and just like hand over our preferences to surveillance capitalism and be persuaded of anything or have an argument about anything online like wanting to talk about like the the love of god being so shameful just seems to me like a sort of weird place to have got to yeah i mean certainly conversations like this then i think people will be totally fine with them if they're like if this is a new face of evangelism i'm now wondering if you're going to edit edit me out <laughs> <laughs> no but the yeah i guess it is you know uh, other parts of it and people with maybe sort of certain viewpoints on what it means if you do or don't and then the lifestyle that you should lead if you yeah uh, there's like wounds and bruises around it i get it yeah the uh so look those are the uh the lifefulness questions and then they start off as a quick fight around but they've I don't know they're so interesting and I, I certainly know there'll be so many people listening who you know whether you know who might not be Christian, who, who aren't Christian and have got no desire to become Christian, but would go and hear about what you get from it and think, yes, that is what I want in my life. And that is, and I guess that's the sort of big part of th this entire project that we're doing is saying, you can actually go and like in the same way that a Jew can get that or a Muslim or whoever, like what are the structures that we need to like really put in place so that it doesn't just become a hashtag or a way to sell, you know, yoga pants or whatever else it might be, like a, a, a lovely label to go and describe a company, which frankly, in every other part of its behavior is like strip yeah. mining lithium in the Congo. But then like when they advertise their smartphone as someone jumping out of an airplane because they're sort of making the most of their life, you're like, no, let's go and sort of actually find a way to properly, to, to, to yeah. properly do it. Uh, yeah, the, the wellness industrial complex, it just like gobbles up transcendent things. Yeah, yeah. well, also the funny thing I find really interesting is just looking at almost any advert, you'd go, like if if at the end of it it sort of like had christianity or a church or something else it would work fine because it's people loving each other and whatever it's like these fundamental human desires you then just put a cheeky nationwide at the end of it and people go oh yeah i really want a mortgage from these guys uh there were so many things that i wanted to uh speak to you about because uh uh, obviously, you've got this, you know, you've at the intersection of secular life and uh, sort of faith. And the place that I wanted to start was what would it look like if there were, now you might think of them as your Christian communities, uh, but or I'm, I'm thinking this from the point of view of life on this communities. The thing which excites me is there's so many people who aren't part of a congregation what if there were another 10 million people, secular people in congregate, like what would Britain look like? So from your experience of your church and seeing the impact that faith groups have, like, like how would Britain change or could Britain change if there were just a step change in the amount of people attending congregations? I mean, I just love it as a vision. I think... By the way, you can think of it as your Christian churches if you want. Yeah. Like if you if if like thinking of it as uh, mine is not in in your heart space. 
No, it's fine. It's in my house, but it's really useful for experiment, actually. Because um, there's, you know, there's a lot of research about how religion is good for well-being across a range of measures. And the research indicates that a good, like a good proportion of that effect is the community, is the, is the sense of belonging, is the, is the, is the belonging to something. There's a few studies that show that actually the content around which you cluster is also important, but at least a part of that effect is having a place where you feel known, that you go to regularly, and there is a sense that um, you're, you're doing something together, that there is something collective happening over the long term. And I think it's particularly important that it's sort of outside the market, that it's not just, mm. like work teams can do that for you for short periods of your life, I think, but they're, they're inherently transient and they're, they're not unconditional. And I think there is something about an unconditional congregation where you don't have to earn your place in it. Like, I wonder if you, if you measure the difference between the well-being effect of auditioned choirs and unauditioned choirs, whether there would huh. be something there or whether there's just like a story that people narrate about that. Anyway, that's a nerdy researcher sideline. I think that my instinct is that those who belong to healthy, and let's be clear, like Christian communities and other kind of communities cannot get unhealthy because they're powerful, right? It's a powerful mm. to have a sense of belonging and a story in which you find yourself, which helps you make meaning of your life and gives you a sense of purpose. And that can be used by unethical people, but we hear a lot about that. What we don't hear most about is the sense that in most cases, it's just, it's life-giving because it brings down like loneliness and mental health effects actually is, has an effect on physical health for reasons that people yeah. don't fully have, I guess, because physical and emotional and spiritual mental aren't all that hermetically sealed. And it also makes like practical action more sustainable. So it's actually really hard to just try and be an ethical person in the world. But when you're sharing the load and you're part of a team and there's like different jobs you can do at different seasons. You know, it, it feels more manageable. Um, and so I do think, like, I think congregations are communities that encourage virtue in almost every case. Um, and they just make people feel better. There's the loneliness of being alive is ameliorated somewhat. Yeah, no, I mean, I like when because I sometimes have a hard time sort of even imagining it. And I guess this is, I think, also because in the UK, we the church has probably given up on this idea that everyone's going to of believing of building the kingdom of heaven on earth. And because that's what they'd call it of like when everyone believes in God and then it's all going to be OK. But I think that drive to go and. <clears throat> you know, have for people to live in community and then commit to go and make a transform the world is something that so many people are, you know, looking for. Uh, and it and it is really tricky to just even try to imagine a Britain where like that just goes and totally changes. And it's interesting. I often think around this idea of emergence because you've got like those things that you're talking about are the okay yeah everyone would live a bit longer be a bit nicer we could probably have some more volunteering but it's that other thing of like you know what you know the parts you can't predict which are very exciting uh what's one of the things that in your research and certainly just in your uh, in your life do you think that we're you know one percent of young people in the uk say they're part of the church of england 
like what is what is being lost with this decline in uh, religious attendance? It's too sort of simple and too triumphal a story to go, well, look, here's the downward graph of church decline and here's the upward graph of mental health and endemic social problems, basically. Like, I think there's many more factors at play, but there, there is an interconnected thing. I'm sort of coming to this place of thinking that a lot of the stuff we've been told about what a human being is like is just a bit bullshit. And by the way, which stuff do you mean? Like the homo economicus, like yeah. you are what you buy, competitive, Yeah, and, and the kind of like, there is something glorious in being an authentic individual who carves their own path through the world. You know, that I did it my way. And that Fuck you're Frank somehow Sinatra. failing at last. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. <laughs> um, you're somehow failing at life if you know, this kind of, ex this expressive individualism, basically, that has, as with all these things, seeds of some really important things that we needed to hear and that are part of our well-being, like hugely homogenous, oppressive, heteronormative, not heteronormative, hegemonic, and I guess heteronormative usually, oh. cultures and societies um, are oppressive for a reason, right? There's yeah. that, that the like absolute extreme of those where we're, so atomized and under pressure to make every single tiny self-optimizing choice about our life as we go on our own basically making up a metaphysics for every individual is like crushing and exhausting and so i do feel like you know i actually you know i am a christian i do believe that god exists and he loves us and i'd love to see loads of people encountering that like free of the baggage and the nonsense like understandable skepticism, but failing that, I would just love to see people sort of opting out of that sort of striving, striving towards the things that we, we know don't make us happy, but we still feel obligated to pursue in, in favor of the things that are like, what does it mean to commit to some people in the long term? What does it mean to root in a place which makes me sound like super parochial but i am coming back to commitment to people is commitment to place yeah you know what would it mean to like seek our sense of self-fulfillment in the service of others rather than in you know fame and glory and this all sounds like a cliche because we sort of know it in theory but we're not structuring our society as if we know it and so that these communities that can help us like reinforce the things that we already know against the tide of all of the nonsense would be really helpful. Uh, yeah. And I think there's also something where, and you see it where people sort of like opt into the more rat racier pursuits, maybe later in their life as they're like, well, look, I've got to worry about this house and I've got to worry about, you know, this education for my kids, or I've got to go and make this choice. And as, and because there's so much uncertainty in the rest of society, often because you aren't part of a place, often because you aren't part of a community, then yeah, there's like, there's a sort of self-reinforcing, self-reinforcing loop. I've, yeah, at the moment really, uh, the amount of, uh, some friends I see who might have thought, well, you know, we're going to obviously 
uh, go and send our kids to comprehensive and just like a certain like feeling that oh no maybe that's you know they really want to do it but they're really grappling with it and you go they don't want to have to do it you know and obviously you know, some people you know these things you're all imagining whoever it might be on the internet going oh really your lucky friends going to private school what have you but like they don't want to do it they uh, believe that it's not right in society but they just don't have confidence that the other services are there and yeah. or there's no critical mass of a community trying together to work out how to make choices which creates which does create critical mass and creates a sense of safety and a sense like you're not the one weirdo yes. who children's lives but there's other people who are on this road with you which helps so much and then also that you are that you like you don't think of school as where your child is made like you're aware that there's like so many other things and like oh yeah this will happen and that will happen but in fact you know little johnny or Ginny or whoever it might be is going to be okay because they've got this whole other structure which is more important uh by the way one thing i just saw on my list of questions in one of your theos reports i found someone writing about a report which i just love and this is uh, this one from lord hurstpeer point in 2014 uh and this is a report, Talent Management for Future Leaders and Leadership Development for Bishops and Deans. And I went and had to go and look up that report. And there's something hilarious about the meeting of like- PWC culture. Yeah, 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 PWC culture and the church. And it's got all these PowerPoint slides of like with arrows going across of qualities, uh, you know, sort of uh, ability to cure the sick. Uh, <laughs> can levitate uh strong uh, oration voice yeah 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 a uh, bit of a uh distraction there and then uh yeah so you probably will have occasional conversations with people like me who are looking at sort of religious traditions looking at religious traditions and trying to translate them like what are i guess what are some of the dangers you see in that and what are some of the ways that you see people doing it well and then I'll ask the next question that I've got in my head afterwards, because you don't want to have three questions at once. So I guess for me, the question for all of this and for non-religious con congregations is, is what's, the, what's the strong enough why? I think there are like extrinsic benefits to some religious practices, but what generally keeps religious people doing them are the intrinsic or the properly religious ones in the sense that like I, I go to church, I, you know, our organization does a huge amount of research. I know that just going regularly to be part of a congregation is good for me, but that's not why I go. I don't go to it because mm. I'm or be calmer or be a better citizen. I go cause I want to encounter the divine. That feels like a very strong like need. And famously powerful force, the old divine, uh, is pretty potent. And so it's not, I'm not sure you lose anything in the sense that I don't think there's a danger necessarily for trying to export these practices. But I think in most cases, you then fall back on not consumer choice, which would belittle it, but the, the, like the glue that keeps you going even when it's hard and actually you're really pissed off with the vicar or everyone in the congregation is driving you bonkers or 
Like I pray, even when I am having a day where I don't believe in God, which happens very, very mm. so often. And I pray when I'm really angry with God. And I pray on the days where I'm just like completely neutral, don't really feel anything. <laughs> because it's like formed in me. I don't really know how to describe it because that's, in some ways, I guess it's just a habit, but it's because of this pull to something ultimate. Like, and it's not about self, it's not about optimizing my life. Mm. It's about life itself. I think the thing that it's hard to replace, it's not impossible, and I'm like cheering you on. Mm. <laughs> but hard, the thing that's hard to replace is that really, that really like crunchy why that means that. I, I, I will be part of a, like, if it's up to, you know, we're looking to buy a community house. If it's up to me, I will be part of this community until I die because the Bible says I should. And I've turns out it's a very annoying book, but also has been reliably trusted. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that to me is the part where I feel, so I think it's n not necessarily the strong enough, only the, strong enough why because i think lots of people have got their uh why so by the way i'm not telling you wrong this is like my right. take well, yeah. on it it's good if we disagree yeah yeah, yeah yeah i've god almighty i've been in sunday assembly so long we're not allowed to upset anyone uh gonna be radically inclusive so every single time i say anything i've got 17 footnotes and it really spoils my conversation between that right. and turn some tables over we can yeah. ah, get Fuck. out of the temple mr wonga uh the so, yeah, the, I think it's not only the why, but it's also the social technologies for you to feel the why. Feel the why! Uh, that's uh, going to be the next name for this. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to see if that's feelthewhy.com. Go and find it. Is that, like, I think lots of everyone has got that capacity to feel, to have meaning. Like, you know, it's a story. Right. And to my mind, the story of being an alive human, I mean, this seems to be a thing which sometimes happens on the podcast. One of the things I like doing it is because when I'm talking about it, then I just go, oh, hello, we're here for a tiny bit, like a little, the little me. If you're not watching, I'm holding up two pumpkins. These guys, I mean, it's great that they're alive, but what... Uh, what do they do? They do no thinking. They do no loving. They do no dancing. And then, and, and it, like, it might be totally meaningless, like maybe, but then there's also the part of me, which is like, well, actually, if we keep on surviving for long enough, then actually my little bit is part of that great cosmic chain of being. And who knows where it could lead? It doesn't have to be. But at the same time, even if it's meaningless, then what a crazy thing that I was at one of the few little blobs who could create meaning and it makes you it more... You don't think it's meaningless, Anderson. I know you don't. Well, I know there's a bit of me which is unsure. Like, I, where I think... But then that's my part. <laughs> this is how relentlessly positive I am. It's also that's what makes it so meaningful. Because you are... Like, if, like we get for a small bit to feel this thing and to understand this thing and... Uh, and to go and create our meaning and it's so meaningful and like that's why it's so meaningful and so I think that why like everyone has the capacity to do it but then what 
religion does is it then goes, oh, well, if you go and play these chords and you bring these teenagers together and they're all super horny, but they're not allowed to bang. Uh, and then you tell them that there's someone who does love them, uh, but not in a sexy way, but in a way which still makes them feel nice. Uh, and then, but you don't just do that because often that like, that's what modern festivals are like. You go off and you have this experience, but then they go, oh yeah. And then you've got to come and be part of the small group, which is one thing. And then you go and feel that like mini hit every week. And then, and so it's. And here's some books you can be reading. And some here's some books you can be reading. Yeah. And then it's also got the, so the research on interpretation of altered states is that like, it's a lot with your schema, like how you look at the world. And so then if you've got that, like I have sort of developed a schema, which enables me to go and find like this, put this meaning on these feelings. So yeah, but then it is that that quite like to my mind, it's not so much the why, but like all the things to make people feel the why. Uh, but then and then you go and work it out. But it's not just all those things you need to. You don't need to have loads of theologians. Like you end up like the whole ecosystem of meaning is massive. Uh, yeah, good job on picking Christianity. A lot easier than having to write your own. Uh, the uh, so. And then what would be some of the things for people who will be listening to this and uh, will be thinking, oh, look, I'm not, you know, uh, Jesus sounds like a nice guy, not buying the whole thing, though. Like, what are some spiritual practices or things that you see uh, in either your own community or just from the your life and your research, which you think have got good sort of uh, equivalents uh, in the secular world? Yeah, I think I think silence is a huge and beautiful way that we unlock the deep things. Um, and almost every spiritual tradition, I would say, has a thread which says that's, that in some ways silence is like the gateway to deeper meaning but that in a very activist culture and a very achievement orientated culture, I remember I'm trying to do 20 minutes of centering prayer a day and, mm -hmm. and I like resist it. Like, eh, eh, like in the lead up, my mind is just like sabotaging that session of 20 minutes through every possible while. Um, but whether it's meditation or mindfulness or. What is centering uh, prayer? So centering prayer is a form of Christian meditation where you try and sit in open attentiveness to God. And every time mm. a thought comes up, you surrender it. You lay it down. Huh. Um, so it came out of Trappist monk, monkish, Trappist monk <laughs> practice. You can tell I'm not okay, good. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a form of Christian meditation. Yeah. Um, I think singing collectively, I'm just going to say all the things that you do. Singing is good. Listening to inspiring people uh, mm. talking, but then just like spending time together. I think that the, one, one of the things that keeps coming out of our research is that the power of eating together, like the central metaphor of Christianity is a meal. It is mm. like there's something weird about the cross and the last supper that Jesus says, you know, this is my body given for you. This is my blood given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me like the communion table like yeah. it's a very powerful place and i think with the most amazing instances of church social action that we see and we see all kinds of bonkers innovative projects is not food banks which are fine when absolutely necessary but are more like a shared table where there is mm. a and you can come you can come if you're so hungry you need food or you can come if you're lonely you'll come if you just really fancy being with people that night and we are we are one body because we all share in one loaf there is something about sharing food that is democratized yeah. and it's really hard to share a meal with someone that you absolutely loathe like you can do it but it feels weird i think yeah 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 um and so that's one of the practices that we try and really build in um yeah, there's a few. I think that, so I, ha I have a challenge for you, which mm. is going to sound like I'm saying start a cult. It's not. But I think that one of the problems with secular liberalism, of which I am the inheritor of many of the goods, and I am definitely not an enemy of, like I think in its best forms, it is a great social system. But that because it was born in the crucible of you know, the third, the, you know, the, the wars of religion and the reformation. Mm. And there is a deep seated allergy to calling people to things and, and asking things of people and wanting to provide structures and commitments and social covenants is what I'd, I like the language of. I just think like dancing around other people's consumer autonomy, there's no, there, there, unless we get past the discomfort with the fact that we actually we owe each other some things and we can commit some things to each other and in that act of sacrificing part of our own autonomy there's life but it's really uncomfortable because we're so trained to see it as always suspicious and so I think for the lifefulness vision and trying to call people to congregations and trying to call people to like creating structures of meaning for the long term not just like an individual self-optimization project you just have to you have to tackle that head on and be like i know this is uncomfortable i know you're going to feel like i'm stepping on your personal autonomy mm. so they don't think it's like you sanderson asking them to lay down some freedom but like deeds of covenant or rules of life in monastic yeah. community rules of life are really powerful like we're looking at writing one for our uh, intentional community because it's not like one individual asking you something. It's we design something together to which we all commit. And it asks something of all of us. But in laying down some of those freedoms we gain. Yeah, I agree with you uh, totally. And the we've uh, just have started some small groups, which I, truth be told, I've been slightly embarrassed about talking about. Uh, why? Or, uh, oh, should I tell you why? In my case, it's more to do with... Uh, uh, ADHD and administrative things where I I've got this uh and I'm getting over it at the moment where th th like there's a part of me which is like oh, I'm going to be inviting all these people to my party and once it's on then I can forget one of their emails and they'll think it's because I don't like them but in fact like I like it's just something I find difficult with, and so there's that that's a sort of thing there, and and there's also probably a bit about like going out and saying, uh, it's when you actually do have a community which you want people to go and where I've got these ideas, like I, I put this app, there's an application form on the community this time, and there's it saying, uh, you know, 
this is like, and the reason that is, is to explain to people that it is serious, that it is, it's not a Facebook group. We're not asking for your likes. Uh, it will be twice a month. You will turn up. You will be letting people down. If you don't, turn, like, you want to rely on other people, like they've got to be able to rely on you. And uh, also sending, uh, like at Sunday Assembly, we said it was free. Uh, and you know what? Like, it doesn't, it isn't free. Like it, uh, things cost things. Yeah, things cost things. And it, and indeed, it should be joyful. Yeah. Like the liturgy, the liturgy of generosity. We pray this great prayer that's like, almost like we, we give our money away as like a two fingers up at the like traps of thinking that money will cure us of our ills. And we rebel against the kingdom of mammon by yes. giving us, it's like a liberation in it. And it is like, it's one of my favorite things now. Like not don't do it all the time, but when I like get over my acquisitiveness and give some money away, I'm like, yes, bring them. Yeah, the, uh, there's this wonderful woman uh, who I spoke with and she is, she goes to a progressive synagogue and she, and so I was doing some research on like, what does, uh, you know, the classic like customer development, they call it in Silicon Valley and all this stuff of like speaking to people. It's like, and then I asked, and so she gives 10% to her uh, synagogue and I asked her, and so what do you, uh, what do you get uh, from that? And she said, well, if I got anything, it wouldn't be a gift. <laughs> and you're like, that is <laughs> head spinning round levels of a discombobulation about how different that is to like the entire of society. And she spoke about how one month she decided there was a amazing social enterprise, which does cupcakes with pensioners. I don't know what, something, something alike. And so she said, okay, I'm going to give my, 300 pounds this month or whatever it might be to these people and then they said they did all the classic like charity donation stuff <laughs> go and send a letter invite them over so and she's just like guys please don't this is the last thing i want but maybe that's a new uh, promise of uh uh lifefulness donate a lot get nothing deal with it there we go what a lovely message to end on it actually is but <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that is the, but it has been like, you know, wanting to go and lay out that there is more commitment because also people love that, don't they? Like you don't like a marathon, like if you shortened a marathon to a hundred meters, people wouldn't go like, oh yeah, yeah, for man, for great marathons really improved by that. No, yeah. it's the, it's the challenge. Uh, well, uh, look, hey, super great to speak to you, Liz. This has been a delight. Uh, the, you have got a podcast. What's the podcast name? Called Sacred. Sacred. It is excellent. I'd uh, advise everyone to subscribe to it right after you've subscribed to this one. Uh, Liz, and where can we find you in, uh, uh, where can we find you online in other places? Yeah, so uh, Theos Think Tank is the website of the Christian Think Tank that I run. And I am trying not to be on Twitter so much, but you probably can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Theos Elizabeth. <laughs> Hey there, this is uh, me again with the outro and I love that chat. I'm sure that came over. Uh, I just thought it was the sort of best advertisement for what James and I are doing in our work. Like you're going to hear about what she gets from community and that level of connection and that sense of purpose and 
you know, that's exactly why we're doing the work that we're doing. Uh, I was also really intrigued by what she said about her, like that experience of God that she has. If you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know that like I often think that like if you scanned my brain thinking about life and put it next to a scan of someone else's brain when they're thinking about God, then the same things were being hit and the same parts lighting up, the same neurochemicals dancing through. Like that's just such a sort of key part of this, of like working out actually how can you go and help people collectively have that feeling? Because, you know, when we do have that feeling together and we're able to, you know, not just sort of, understand what we want and what we want to connect to in that rational way but in a way which is sort of like physically overwhelming because that is again I just think of it like to think about life for me or whatever's your value for you then like it's really like it's an overwhelming feeling it is just so much bigger like when I think about life so much bigger than me it is something I never understand it's a gift which I did nothing to deserve and yet get to have and the experience of it in and of itself is almost psychedelic but compared to the nothingness which awaits ah oh, like to as I start to talk about it now like my body physically changes and and I know that that there's something in that feeling of connecting to that feeling to what it is that's important in my life, but you know, in everyone's life, which is transformative. So, oh gosh, I always go off on these rants, but it's just the heart of the matter to me. Yeah, so I, I love that. This is at the end. We sort of talk about what's happening in the Lifefulness Project and then the community. So, you know, this week, they're sort of the same thing. Uh, we're going to be starting the small groups uh, from next week. We've got our pilot one up and running. It's a bit sort of later than I hoped to start them, but uh, they are starting. And yeah, got some great people coming together for that. Uh, and yeah, that 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 to me seems like a a new phase of this of like bringing people together. Sadly, not in person for the time being, but I've sort of had feedback from people who are like wanting to have something which can maybe be a bit of a hybrid model we're looking at. So, yeah, that's the the most exciting thing. Uh, and then if you're interested in the next phase, which can be starting in the new year, go to www.lifefulness.io forward slash membership. And yeah, then you can sort of uh, apply to be part of it. The next one's going to be starting at the start of next year. So I think there'll be some sort of like life planning, New Year's resolution, goal setting aspects to them. So uh, yeah, that'll be really fun to do. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the community. That's what's happening in the life on this project. Think if there's any other big news that I've missed out. No. Uh, all right. The, the other parts to wrap up. Yeah, if this is your bag, if you're liking what we're doing, then do go and follow us at the Lifefulness Project on Facebook and Instagram at Lifefulness Project, P-R-J-T on Twitter, which is totally inactive, but go and like it anyway. And then uh, then we'll go and get some more stuff out there. Uh, I'm at Sanson Jones, my co-host who is uh, not here, my no-host, that's a good name for it. Uh, James Croft is at Croft Speaks. 
A huge credit to James for doing this. He is a great conversation partner. Uh, Thanks to Mavs for the production. Thank you to Will Andrews for the artwork. And thanks to Roman Rapak and Miro Schott for the music that you're hearing right now. 